pray. Father, we, uh, uh, we do thank you tonight, God, just for your amazing grace. And Lord, it is uh, a little bit of dialogue there. It is great to gather together. And Lord, to worship you. And, and uh, I, I just pray, God, we thank you that we have gifted songwriters and gifted musicians to lead us and, and, and just get our hearts and our, our minds in that right place where we're sitting at your feet. And, and God, we just want to continue that heart and that attitude of worship. And especially as we read here of, of Ezra kind of uh, reaching a place where things are so awesome and then, and then he just gets blindsided with something. And, and uh, Lord, what an what a awesome example he is for us of what to do. So I pray tonight that, Lord, we would glean from Ezra, we would learn from this man how to handle situations that are completely out of our control in situations that, that sometimes hit us and, and we don't even know how to respond. And so, Lord, give us wisdom. Give our heart, make our hearts pliable and soft. And, Lord, bless this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've been with us, we've been, uh, you know, I know bouncing back and forth, but with Ezra, the last time we looked, remember he took that journey with about 1,500 people, finally made it to Jerusalem. I mean, it's been, it's been a while as we've been studying Ezra. It's taken us a long time, but it took them a really long time. The temple's been finished for 20 years, so they've been working on it for a while, and I kind of like to think of Ezra he grew up in Babylon, obviously. He, I don't think he was part of the captivity or he'd be way, way old. You know, he'd be like over 100. So I believe, listen, I believe, but I believe Ezra was kind of like in Babylon, I think he was like the resident scholar. He was the guy that knew the word and, and faithfully taught the word and discussed the word. And, and now he has the opportunity. Think about, think about his heart, the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem or go to Jerusalem, maybe not back, but, but in that sense he goes and how excited he must have been. And even journeying with all those people. Remember we talked about there's like 1,500 people. That's a lot of people to take on a, on a road trip, Right? I mean, you know, most of us, we take a family and we go nuts. Imagine 1,000, 1,500 people going on that journey. And then you finally make it and, and the temple is there and, and you see it and, and all of the excitement. And we read that at the end, how exciting that was. And, and they did the offering. And, and remember, they had all of that gold and stuff to deliver. How incredible is they, is they just got there. And then, and then to spread the word that, that the king gave them permission and, and kind of telling all of the surrounding people, the people in a authority chill out we're here by the king's authority we have and, and just just that immense quote spiritual high that must have felt and I, I believe if you walked with the Lord any length of time you have those incredible highs but it seems like when when you're on that mountaintop it seems like inevitably something comes along to mess that up whether it's something external, whether it's something in our hearts, whatever. And here Ezra is in that great place. And then, and then in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the uh, abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. 
So listen, they, now, now you're on this great thing and now all of a sudden some people come to you and they go, Ezra, we have a major problem. The people are intermarrying with the other people here. Not a good thing. And again, you need to understand, it wasn't that God was a racist. All of these people are Semites in a sense, so it's, it's more of ethnic than anything. But here's the thing, God wanted them separate, why? Because he chose Israel for a purpose. Israel was all about to live for the Lord, to show the world there was God. But even greater than that, we gotta understand Greater than that, they were the ones who were gonna give us the word that we have now. And even greater than that, the Messiah was gonna come through Israel. Hey, they couldn't get, quote, messed up and polluted by other things. It was important. God wrote to them in Exodus, and, and I think part of this is coming out of there. God wrote to them in Exodus chapter 34. He says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. And then in Deuteronomy, he kind of says the same thing to them. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are, are entering to possess and drives out before you the many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, even or seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally, make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them do not give your daughters to their sons nor or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and you and will quickly destroy you so God had warned them way back remember Ezra's the scholar and so he comes and they they they, they tell him listen they go hey the people have completely ignored God's word they just threw it aside and, you know, that's something I think we're all in the danger of in different areas of our life, if we're really honest. I mean, I, I believe as believers, and I believe most of us on a, on a Thursday night are believers, we wanna follow the Lord, wanna do the right thing, but then, but then there's times where we will choose to disobey and we often make excuses. We talk ourselves into it, make excuses in our heads. I think you guys are like me. And we, we kind of justify things and get, and hey, they come to Ezra and they tell Ezra, this is what's going on. Now, I think, you know, I understand God's law in this area was very specific for them. Hey, this wasn't a gray area. This wasn't something they would have a hard time understanding. It was very, very clear. And once again, how can we expect God to show us great things when we refuse to obey him in the little things, and, and I don't even consider this a little thing. This is a huge thing, they're intermarrying. And again, not, not so much a racial thing or even an ethnic thing, this is a thing like you're gonna mess up your family. And it is interesting to me, it's most of the focus is on marrying foreign women, which you know what that tells me, ladies? You have a tremendous influence in the home and in your children's lives. And God says, you gotta be careful. Don't do this. And, and it sort of blows my mind. 
Why were they taken out of the land? Why were they gone for, hey, they, they were gone for 70 years and now it's been, you know, 90 years, maybe close to 100 years since they were in captivity. Why did God take them out of the land? Very simple for disobeying. And we need to understand something because I think this is important. Israel never stopped being Israel, whether they were in the land or in Babylon. They were still Israel, God's chosen people. And we need to know something, man. When we sin, there's consequences to our sin. Doesn't mean we quit being God's children, but it means there's consequences to our behavior. And they suffered severe consequences, and they've been back in the land maybe 20, 25 years, and they're already saying, eh, what does God know? And so now they're intermarrying, and so they come to Ezra, and these leaders come to Ezra, and it sort of probably, it probably blew his mind, right? Like I said, he's way up here. He's excited, man. We're back. We got to worship at the temple. His first time ever worshiping at the temple, and all of that, woo! And then they go, hey, Ezra, we got a major problem, man. Here's what's going on. And then it tells us a little bit more in verse two, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. Did you hear that? Who did it? The leadership. Wow. Now think about when you get bad news. Think about when you get something that, you know, you're just, and, and, and let's, let's just even leave it in the area of, you're hearing about either somebody's sin close to you or sin in the nation or whatever. How do you feel about it? And what are you gonna do? Hey, you gotta love, you gotta love Ezra. I love Ezra's response. And we're gonna look at it in a moment, but we need to understand how do we Respond, and what do we do in situations where all of a sudden something is dumped on us that we didn't even expect? Because I think Ezra went there thinking, man, if I can just get to Jerusalem, if I can just get to the temple, everything will be good. And hey, he left a pretty good position in, in Babylon. Resident scholar, had a good job, had a good place probably, and all of that, and now, man, he is there. And I believe, like a lot of us, some of us, you know, we'll, we'll shop around, we'll do church shopping. I, I love that phrase. We look around, we're trying to find the right place, and we're trying to do things, and, 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 and we think, man, if I can just find this place, it'll be so glorious. Here's what you need to know. Wherever you go, there you are. I know that's profound. The problem may not be everybody else, it might be you. And Ezra shows up and hey, he has great expectations and now I kind of look at this. Someone poked a hole in him. What do you mean this is going on? This is, this is Jerusalem. This is a temple. This is what we've been wanting for the last, you know, well, 90 years. This is what we've been looking forward to. And God finally let us go and we get back and this is what we're doing. So look at his response. I love this. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garments and my robe and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and I sat down astonished. Like he is blown away, right? Now in a, in a few weeks, well, I should maybe say a few months, we're gonna read Nehemiah 
And I love the difference in response. These are two different, and we gotta understand, different personalities and God uses both. Ezra here freaks out, pulls out his hair, sits down, and he's astonished. He's overwhelmed with what he just heard. Nehemiah, he pulls out their hair. <laughs> different, different response, same situation. Nehemiah is just different than Ezra. And we need to know something. One's not right and one's wrong, but if I had my choice, I want to be an Ezra. I want to sit down and I want to contemplate and I want to think. I tend to react. I'm a person who I, I react and I sometimes react quickly and sometimes, very, well, oftentimes, very stupidly. And I go, why did I do that? Ezra just dials it back and you can tell, you can tell this affected him deeply. You don't pull out your hair unless you're affected, right? And he sits down and he can't believe what just happened. He can't believe what he just heard. Again, all of that hope and all of that coming. And so he sits down and then, and then verse four, then everyone who trembled at the words of God, at the words of the God of Israel, assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. So here he is, man. He's just like, he's just trying to figure it out. I think he's trying to process it. And I think here's what he's thinking. How could this happen here? We get a little bit astonished. I don't know about you guys, but, but I'm pretty astonished when I hear of some pastor that, that fails morally and something that happens. It, it, you know, to me, it's a big freak out. It's like, and and I, think, I think for me personally, it's a big wake-up call. Like, watch yourself, because how great do you think you are? You could be in that same position. And, and so he's just sitting there astonished. How, how on earth did this happen here at the temple? And especially with the leadership, these guys who came back, some, some of these guys, they built this temple with their own hands and now they're doing this and they're ignoring this part of God's word but doing this part of God's word and they're picking and choosing. And Ezra is like, I think he's just trying to process it, right? How do I process this? How do I react to this? Do I shoot everybody? Do I, you know, what do I do? How do I take care of this? And then the others come around who are into God's word and they're kind of sitting with them and you have this group of people. What are we gonna do about this? And here's what I love, man. If we don't learn anything else from tonight, we need to learn just this simple thing. What does Ezra do? Here's what he does. He prays. He goes to the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't, get a bunch of people together to go confront people. He doesn't do all that. He just stops, stops everything and prays. You know, I, I've said many times, in difficult situations, we need to be people who are willing to stop the world. Do you know what I mean? We just need to step back and just stop and not react and not do those things and stop and absorb and most of all, get on our face before God and spend some time with the Lord because we're gonna notice something. He doesn't ask the Lord to fix this. He just talks to the Lord about it. Here's what's going on, Lord. Here's what I see, and I just want you to know I see what I see, right? So it's interesting, his prayer sort of blows me away. By the way, it's interesting the guys in the exile prayers, I call them, 
Check this out. Read Nehemiah. Read Daniel. I'm not going to tell you what chapters, so you're just going to have to dig through. And then Ezra. And these are three guys who were all in exile, and they had the most incredible prayers recorded and you and I need to remember those things. So here's what he does. He, he calls on the Lord. And so he says, at the evening sacrifice, verse 5, at the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees, spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and I said. Now, this is not the normal posture for a person from Israel to pray. That's not how they prayed. Mostly, mostly they pray standing. Sometimes they pray seated. But mostly it's standing. He's on his knees. Can you tell how affected he is? I mean, he gets out of the norm and he's on his knees. And you know, sometimes it's good for us. Sometimes it's good for us to just get on our knees. Now, I think it's a dangerous thing if you get on your knees in front of everybody to let them know how spiritual you are. This is, this is your prayer time. Get on your knees sometimes. You know, in your prayer closet when nobody else is around, get on your face. Like lay down, put your nose in the carpet or the wood floor, whatever you have, or the grass. Put your face down that low and man, it will open your eyes to certain things. And he humbles himself before his God. He gets down, again, not for a show. He gets down and he lifts up his hands and he begins to call on the name of the Lord. And listen what he says. Oh my God, in verse six, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. Here's what he's saying, man. God, I can't even look at you. He's ashamed and humiliated. Now check this out. Ezra hasn't done anything. He just came and worshiped his God. And he got this horrific news. And I want you to notice something. He owns it. He takes it upon himself because he's part of this. You gotta love that about this guy, right? He doesn't point fingers. He doesn't chastise everybody. Here's what he says, God, I'm so ashamed and humiliated that I can't even, because normal, normal prayer, they lift up their face to God and, and pray. He says, I can't even look up right now. And he says, I, I can't do that. And then, and then, listen, it gets even better. He says, I'm so humiliated, I can't lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. You gotta love this because I think often if we're, if we're really gut check honest, we say their iniquities and their sin and they're really bad people, and that's why I'm praying for him, God. And Ezra says, I'm in this. I'm with him. Wow. You gotta love this guy. He's gonna be so awesome to meet in heaven. And he's just, hey, he's taking possession as though he had done this very thing. He's owning that, and you know what? If we are really real before God, and we humble ourselves to that degree, and we begin to own it, here's what it's gonna do. I'm not saying it's gonna change the world, it's gonna change us. It's gonna change our perspective of others, and how we relate to them, and how we minister to them, and how we talk to them, and we're not gonna come at them from this position of I'm holy and you're not, or I am great and you're not. We're gonna come to them as an equal, and we're gonna feel bad for them, we're gonna, we're gonna be part of them, and we're gonna be able to minister to them. And that's Ezra's heart, man. You gotta love this guy. 
So he's saying, hey, we did this. And, 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 and he's kind of saying, I can't believe this. And then, and then listen to what he says since the days in verse 7. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty of our iniquities. We, our kings and our priests, have delivered unto the hand of the, have been delivered into the hands of kings to the sword and to captivity and to plunder and to humiliation and to humiliation as it is to this day. Here's the, he kind of just does a quick history thing, right? Hey, I just came back from captivity. And I know why we were in captivity. We were in captivity because we disobeyed you. We get out of captivity, and what are we doing right away? And so we can liken this. Most of us are going, Pat, I've never been in captivity, and I don't think I'm going to go to Babylon. (laughs) But if you're saved tonight, you have been delivered from captivity. You've been delivered from sin. And why do we go right back in it? Do you ever ask yourself when you're in the midst of sin, why on earth am I doing this? Now, I know some of you never sin, but for those of us who do, do you ever stop and ask yourself, why am I doing this? I've been set free from this. And that's basically what he's saying. Hey, we were delivered over to captivity because we deserved that. And now we're right back into what we got delivered into captivity for. We're right back in that. We're doing that very thing. And, and again, I think he's partially blown away, but he's also owning it. And he says, man, this is crazy. And then, and then look at verse 8. Verse 8 to me is kind of a cool plea. He says, and now for a little while... Grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Here's what he's saying, man. We were there and we were doing that. And now, listen, now, here's what he's understanding. We got set free from that. And we got this peg, I like this, this peg in his holy place. Here's what what he's saying. We got this little bit of stability we can grab a hold of. And we're slowly letting it slip away. Why are we doing that? And again, I'm I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is a great prayer, but I'm thinking he's kind of in freak mode. I'm sure he doesn't want to go back to captivity. I'm sure he doesn't want to leave. And he's saying, God, you showed us your grace. You were good to us. You're a good God. Why is God a good God? Listen, saints, he's not a good God because you're good. He's a good God because he's good. And he says, man, he says, we got there, and, and here we are, and, we went and, and, and we're there, and he even gave us a small measure of revival. Something started to happen, and now all of a sudden, it's like, you went, and it's gone. I'm wondering if he's seeing it just obliterated before him, and yet it's really not. But in his heart, man, he knows this is not a good thing. And I'm sure he's wondering, how how do we even deal with this? And Nehemiah says, by pulling their hair out, that's how we deal with it. Let me show you. But he's just broken over this. Are you kind of getting that idea? And verse nine, he goes a little bit further, for we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, 
to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So here's what he's saying. He's kind of he's just rehearsing everything, right? Hey, we were there. We deserved to be there. And then God gave us that little bit of revival and took that remnant and he brought them. Remember when Zerubbabel and all of them came just with a, that small force and it came and then God allowed us to build this temple and to begin to build the wall and we're here and we're planted here and, and I think he's thinking, why would, we, why would we mess this up? And he says, then he says in verse 10, and now, oh our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. Check this out, it wasn't the 10. It was part of the 613. But as we've been talking about in James and Galatians, it was the one. You see, if we can't keep that first one is when we're in trouble. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And they're not doing that. Why? Because if they're exhibited. Hey, God told us not to do this, but I am so much smarter than God. And that's what all of us do. Hey, when we sin, that's what we're saying. We're not saying it out loud, but we're saying it by our actions. I know better than God. He told me not to do this, but I know I can do that. And he says, now, God, what are we going to say? Here's what I love. What are we going to say? We have sinned. Saints, take a lesson from, from the rest of this prayer, because here's what he says. We forsook you, God. We forsook your commandments. No excuses. It wasn't because, hey, and check this out. It wasn't because we were in bondage. It wasn't because we were still in Babylon. We've been set free from that. We're, we're there. We're in a holy land. We're back in Jerusalem. We've rebuilt the temple. So we don't have much to say to you, God. We absolutely just decided we are going to sin. Years ago in our church, we had a guy who came to church and, and uh, he came up to me one day, not in church, and it was in, uh, it was, actually it was at my house. And he came up and here's what he told me. He says, you know what? I'm gonna go sin and when I'm done, I'll call the church. I went, okay, can I talk to you about it? No, I'm pretty well made up my mind. And that's kind of, hey, you gotta appreciate the honesty, right? And I said, okay, well, give me a call when you're done. And he did. It was a couple years, but he did. And serving the Lord now, hey, it's honesty. A lot of us, we just go sin and we try and cover it up and make excuses for it. It's not my fault. I got trapped into this. I got tricked into this. No, your sin never tricks you into it. It's that little pet that you carry around with you that you think you have control of. And so, here's the thing we need to know. All of us sin, but most of the time we try and cover it up and make it nice. I love Ezra, and I love that guy. I love him to this day. Hey, here's what Ezra says. We sinned, and what are we gonna say? We broke your commandments. Oh, it gets better. Now, therefore, oh, I'm sorry, and he says the commandments, verse 11, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with uncleanness of the peoples of the land with their abominations, and I have filled it from one end to the other with their impurity. Now, listen, God said this over and over and said, don't get messed up by that. 
And in our own lives, the same thing, man. We got the world all around us. And you've heard me say before, I think we need to interact with the world. It bothers me when, as Christians, we sometimes try and isolate ourselves and come out of the world, and we don't, we don't want to get touched by that. And then it really upsets me when we get upset with some company doing something that's a worldly company that, that doesn't claim any kind of Christianity, and we go, how can they do that? Because they're in the world, that's how come. And we get all freaked out, and we act all holier than now. Listen, I think we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And we should be able to walk through that stuff and it not contaminate us. We should be able to go through it and not let it affect us. And that should be our prayer. We shouldn't say, take us out of the world. And, and, and here's what he's saying, man. God says, listen, I'm bringing you into this world, Israel, that is messed up. It's like, here's what the Lord says. I'm going to take you and I'm going to place you in this land and that land is a mess and I'm going to stick you in the middle of it. Thank you, God. And I want you to take care of it. I want you to fix it. And a lot of us are like some of the tribes of Israel. Check out, as we get into Exodus, check out how some of the tribes move around instead of going where they're supposed to go, especially you get into numbers, and, so, and they start moving, and God says, I want you to settle here, and they go, no, I would really like it. The, my, my main one is Dan. If you've ever been to Israel with us, and you go to Israel and you go up to the Dan Preserve, it's gorgeous up there. They weren't supposed to be up there. And they go, what do you do? Why did you go up here? Because it was nice, and there weren't any of those ites up there. And we didn't want to fight the ites in our area, so we went up there. And sometimes that's what we do, Christians. We avoid stuff rather than doing what God has called us to do. God says, listen, I'm going to place you in the middle of this. And, and for homework, you can read these, these uh, uh, places in Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 7, Ezekiel 5, about how God is telling them, I want you to be in this, but don't get contaminated by it. And even we might even go into 2 Corinthians where he tells us, don't be unevenly yoked. Be careful. Watch what you're doing, and I think it's, you know, especially young people or, or single people, hey, watch who you date. Why would you date somebody in the world? Why would you get involved with somebody in the world? Here's what my Bible says. People in the world, their, their father is Satan. What the Bible says. So here's what I know. You get involved with somebody in the world and you marry somebody in the world, you are not gonna like your father-in-law <laughs> at all. Just think it through. You're gonna have some like major stuff going on there. So listen, he says, don't do this. And he's telling them, and it's something throughout scripture. Listen, and God is not telling us, don't do it so we can be, we can be these, these holier than thou people. Here's what he's saying. You do that, it's gonna mess you up. I promise you, and hey, today, if you're thinking about doing that, just go back and read from Exodus to the end of the Old Testament and find out how messed up it gets when you start doing that. And here's what they're doing. They're doing that, and God says, don't do it. And then he tells us in verse, in verse 12, now therefore, do not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters as, to your sons, and never seek peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. Don't make deals with the world. Listen, we could interpret it this way. Don't make a deal with the devil. 
Be careful how you negotiate things. Some of us, again, well, if I do this, it's kind of a trade-off for this. And Do you guys do this stuff in your heads? I think we all do. He's saying, why are you doing that? Stop it. Stop it. And so, hey, Ezra's just saying what's happened and what's going on, and then here it comes, man. He, remember, this is still a prayer of his. And verse 13, and after all that has come upon us, for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, are, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing those abominations? Do you hear what he's saying? Listen, we went through this as a nation and you didn't give us what we deserved. We didn't get what we really, really earned. And then now we're doing it again? And saints, when we do it again, what do we expect from God? I, I, I love what he says, man. He says, God, and, and we're doing this, and, and now that we've done it, should we expect less? And then in the middle of verse 14, would you not be angry with us until you have consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? You see, Ezra's a little blown away at the grace of God. We blatantly did this. Here's what he's saying. This was no mistake. This wasn't like a, oops. And I personally believe 99.9% of our sin is not oops. I'll give us that one-tenth of one percent. That's a, whoops. But most of the time, our sin is strategically planned. We don't admit that, but it is. And here's what he's saying. After, after we did this, here's what Ezra's saying. Why would you even have anything to do with this? Why would there even be a remnant? Why would this even happen? Now, you have to remember something in this entire prayer. Ezra never sinned. Hadn't done this. Hadn't done anything but be Ezra. And yet he's taking it all. Because here's what Ezra knows. He's just as capable of doing that as they are. And he goes, God, why would you, why would you even have anything to do with this? And then here's the end of the prayer. Check this out. Verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. And here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. I gotta be honest. I spend a lot of time in prayer asking for forgiveness wanting grace, wanting mercy, at least for me. Sometimes I don't want mercy for other people. I want mercy for me. And I spend a lot of times desiring for God just to let's just get this over with. Do you hear his prayer? God, we deserve this. When was the last time you were in a position where you knew what you did and you knew that you were in the consequences of what you did and you got on your face before God and you told God, 
I know I deserve this. You're a righteous God, and I deserve this. Most of us don't pray that way. Come on, if we're really honest, most of us don't. That's what Ezra's doing. We need to learn from him. And we need to be people who are willing to accept the consequences of the decisions we make and quit trying to manipulate them. And hey, I I know we live in a culture that that's hard. Our whole culture tries to cover everything up and and tries to justify everything that's done and fix everything that's done. I'm like, you know, it's like driving me crazy right now that every, you know, no matter what happens in the world, it's like, well, this and that and excuse and all of this. Why don't we just say, hey, I really messed up. And I'm sorry, God. And I'm getting exactly what I deserve. And you are a righteous, good God for giving it to me. Wow. Gotta love Ezra. Now we're gonna stop here because there's some good answer to this prayer, but I want you to come back next week. So we're gonna stop here. But I want us to think about, listen, I want us to think about our lives and our relationship with others and with the Lord. And maybe, just maybe, maybe we need to take it a little bit further. Maybe this would be a really good time to begin to pray for our nation. And listen, the sins of our nation as though we're partakers in it. Hmm? And to be really honest before God and real before God. Wow, I think we might change a few things instead of trying to petition and fix everything and make committees and do stuff and and try and do that, why don't we just get in our prayer closet, quote, get alone, put our noses in the dirt or the carpet or whatever, and just tell God that he's right and we're wrong, that he's righteous and we're not, Here's what I know will happen. The world will change. And you're going, really? We're going to change the whole world? No, you're going to change, and that's going to change how you look at the world. And then the world will change. And we need to know that. And you've got to love Ezra. Now, some of us are thinking, I want to go read Nehemiah. Because you're that person. No, stay in Ezra, read Ezra, and become that person. And tonight, listen, tonight as we close, as we do on Thursday nights, we're gonna give you an opportunity, but you know, I, I, I want us to be sure when we're, when we're giving our hearts to Jesus, we're giving our hearts to Jesus because we've sinned and we've offended a holy God. And that's important for us to keep in mind. And that's for all of us. Hey, when we sin as believers, we've offended a holy God. And we need to be real about that and open and honest about that. I know my Bible says, if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. And I get that, and I like the last part of that, and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But I gotta admit that he's holy and I'm not. And that's all Ezra is doing here. Now this is a really short prayer. Sometimes we think long, lengthy prayers impress God. I think this, like, you can read this in probably a minute and a half. And the same with the one in Daniel and the same with the one in Nehemiah. Yet there's some of the most, I think, three most powerful prayers in all of Scripture. Because they're about being broken and contrite about what's going on in their world. 
And so tonight, if you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, tonight is the night. You need to understand you've offended a holy God. And that's a big deal. That's huge. But that holy God made a way for you to be forgiven. He sent his son to die on the cross. He sent his son to take your punishment. And the good news is all you have to do is believe him and your life will be changed. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I, I thank you tonight, God, for your grace. And I thank you just for this guy, Ezra. <coughs> As we think about him and we kind of look at this life. And Lord, I pray that it would have an impact in our lives, in our relationship with others, in our relationship with you, and it would drive us and move us to be more open and honest with you about where we're at. And I pray that we would be a people who, we don't spend time looking down on others, but we spend time on our face before you praying for others. So God, change us, move in us, draw us closer to you, and most of all, be glorified in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.